for a couple like general things. Um, so like, um, what year was, what years were you on the team for? Let's see, that would have been starting in 2016 through 2020. Okay, so yeah, okay, that's like five years ago then for to last year, five to last year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I guess my next question is like, what was your proudest moment on the team and like, why were you proud of it? Well, I think uh, a couple times, like when we did well in the paper, uh, that was, that felt pretty good because I contributed a lot to that pretty much every year. But so like freshman year we got, it was more like a cumulative thing though, like mm -hmm. kind of one of the things that we would we would pride ourselves on is being really good at the paper. And also, so for example, we got, we got second freshman year losing to Duluth on the paper mm -hmm. and then got first the next year and then uh, third because that was a bad year uh, and I was on the co-op so but I still tried to help as much as I could and then yeah. yeah so went downhill a little bit but in general I think one of the things the team has uh, prided itself on is being like arguably the most prepared team at competition like one of those prepared um, along with teams like ETS in the past but like we would come to competition like ready to compete like the judges sometimes say like like don't don't bring your snowmobile and then just like work on it through tech inspection and stuff like so we are always the ones to be like on top of stuff because we didn't want to bring a broken sled like two thousand yeah. miles yeah no i i get that yeah that makes sense i just it's like I don't really know a ton about like sort of the history of the team or anything because not a lot of the knowledge transfer really happened so like I just I wanted to yeah I guess I wanted to know sort of like what we pride ourselves on and if it's the paper if it's coming prepared well I guess there's the underlying uh thing about being a two-stroke team which there are even fewer now actually I think a few teams switched to a two-stroke but like couple of years ago there were only like three two-stroke teams and back in the day we were the only one so we also I have some pride in that you know since you can take the easy way out in the competition and just run a you know, 40 or you can run like a 38 horsepower snowmobile and win the competition but winning it and getting those points isn't always like really what matters it's about you know, taking a challenge and making something that people would actually want to buy and has value. Oh, for sure. And like challenges in the name of the team anyways. So like, exactly. It's kind of just like a default thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, um, what kind of projects and stuff did you work on like yourself, like in the team during your time on it? Well, I started off like freshman year. I didn't uh, contribute that much for the first few months, although I was like one of the few in my year who actually read like the Bradbury thesis, like pretty much all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Most people stopped after like the first 10 pages and it really showed every year after that, like their knowledge like still had that gap. Mm -hmm. So, so, but besides actually, you know, doing the re somewhat required stuff, uh, I got on this, um, 
noise attenuation project where um, the graduate student at the time, last graduate student we ever had, what was uh, Dylan Savage, also known as Barbie. Mm -hmm. um, and he wanted this project where we would have a Helmholtz resonator that would um, attenuate noise coming from the track since we noticed oh. that like the track was producing a lot of noise. Um, ended up being a really like difficult project just because the constraints of putting a resonator like inside the track where it's not going to like hit the track means that you have to have a really thin resonator. So ended up designing some um, different geometries um, to test like volume and uh, the target frequency of the Helmholtz and then uh, 3D print that uh, so it could be affixed to the like the inside of the tunnel so you have like this tiny gap where you can right, fit right, like yeah. about one and a half inches of resonator yeah. ended up not doing anything partly because the resonators would fill with snow yeah so kind of absorbs most of the noise anyway so and also yeah because the track is such a big thing it's just radiating off like so much noise whereas in the exhaust tubing like a couple inches you can really just target all that noise with the Helmholtz. So Helmholtz really isn't, there really isn't a huge way to attenuate track noise is what we found. The best way to do it is just eliminate it at the source with the, like the contact of the drivers yeah. on the lugs of the track. Yeah. So. Like that's but, why there's so much stuff on the tunnel and everything. Yeah. And yeah, and making that a little bit um, like more damped seemed to help as well. But anyway, so my first project was kind of a failure, but at least I learned some uh, 3D modeling and like 3D printing skills. And like, for example, don't try to print something that's like this big without a heating pad on a 3D printing thing or else yeah. it'll just like start curling up as it cools. Yeah. And so, and I also got a little bit more interested in acoustics, which seemed like there wasn't that much knowledge about it. Um, and then another thing, so this is the start of a grand journey, is I was helping out with an all-new test procedure um, freshman year. So FYI, uh, we were, so we got that uh, snowmobile specter um, my freshman year, but we couldn't end up using it because we couldn't get the permission to calibrate it. Like we didn't have the right file oh, yeah. and it took like a year to get that. So we ended up using Voodoo, the old 800 E-Tech yeah. for her fourth and final year. Did relatively well, got like seventh because uh, she was a piece of shit kind of, but, but she did pretty well. And so we did some noise testing uh, called noise vectoring. You may have seen it in previous papers or like we... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we made like contour maps showing like the like relative loudness of different areas. And I was involved in that testing and we had to do it like two or three times because like we messed up um, and didn't do like a comparison to stock um, like because the body panels had sound foam on them. Yeah. So we had to redo that. So really annoying and the data processing was even more annoying. It took like yeah. three or four hours just to get like one frequency plot one plot at one frequency 
Right. Yeah. Because so, I remember there's like the one 3D graph on the on one of the slides when I was trying to do the presentation with Porter. And I was just like, I don't understand any of this. And he's like, it's too hard to explain. So we're just going to take it out. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's nothing going to come out of it, I wouldn't present on that kind of stuff. But yeah. with so that kind of stuff, I was I ended up doing it again the next year. But I made the plot in some other software, I think. And then the next year, I was so fed up with doing the whole process because what you had to do was go into Audacity, um, trim down the sound file, yeah, and then export that into Excel, or export that to a text file, paste text file into Excel, group them all together, mm-hmm. then paste them one at a time into MATLAB, process them, paste them back into a, a different Excel sheet, and then rearrange them all by hand to create one contour map for, oh, for one frequency, by the way, and then plot it in Uniplot, which I'm actually starting to use um, again at eControls. I just started relearning Uniplot, so which is a brilliant six, software. Six different uh, programs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like uh, three different programs, but like six or seven different steps. Yeah. So I was really annoyed with that. So when I was at my co-op at Warner. Uh, at junior year, when I abandoned the team, I uh, rewrote it to happen exclusively in MATLAB. So you trim the files in Audacity, mm-hmm. export to text file, mm-hmm. and then the MATLAB script processes everything for every single frequency at the same time, and it can plot like whatever frequency you want, and you just wow. change one number. That's or I also made it plot like for all the frequencies kind of added up, which wasn't mathematically sound but it was sick That's so, so cool. <laughs> and that kind of got me more involved in coding because I kind of iteratively like improved the process so like initially freshman year everything manual sucked second year I improved um Jason Maz's code he was previous team captain who designed the noise vectoring test and I was like dude Jason's code is kind of like dumb because it doesn't adjust to your data so you have to always change these stuff in the code that's hard coded in right so i got way better at coding that's kind of like where my future is after i do another year or two in calibration right yeah because you're in e-controls which is all about engine cal right yep well not all about engine cal but it's a pretty important part of the process yeah for sure um okay so uh, what kept you motivated to stay on the team? I think, well, part of it was I knew that even before, like, knowing anything about engines, I knew that just doing classes wasn't going to be enough to get the kind of job I wanted. Um, so, and apart from that, just the more time I put into things and spend time with the uh, people on the team, ended up just enjoying it more. Um, and seeing that there's more, there's like more value in doing stuff for snowmobile than just doing like homework. So ended up getting to the point where like, yeah, grades are important to maintain, but I would just try to optimize like how low of an A can I get in this class (laughs) to the point where I would go like by the end of it, I had like several, like 90%, 90.1%. 
So I'd minimize my time for class and put the rest into a sled if possible. Yeah, yeah we're, we're just struggling trying to get freshmen to stay because of um, COVID. So we're trying yeah. to figure out new ways to get people motivated. Well, here's the thing is that's kind of interesting to me is because if I were in like, well, it's kind of the situation I'm in is like, when I come home, I have nothing to do. And the only like social life I have is at work. Fortunately, the calibration team is full of a bunch of really fun guys. Uh, but I would have like, I know there's COVID, but I, and I'm not a medical expert, but I would just say like, fuck it and have like a more social experience on the team because that's one of the big parts of what kept us together is like we'd have like, like I know three relatively big parties around the year and yeah. maybe you didn't want to be doing that in like March of last year or no, and, you know during yeah. the lower the curve kind of thing but at this point I would at least try to like have more um like or like outside activities even maybe yeah like more social event kind of things yeah, that's one of the big things in playing like Rage Cage. Like, if Rage Cage dies, then I'm afraid the team will die. <laughs> now it's like horses and beer pong, and um, yeah, we can talk about that kind of stuff later. <laughs> but um, no, it's lots of fun. Um, oh, uh, oh, and then the other thing I should say is that just having like an interest in engines and like how awesome two-stroke engines are, which some of the papers we read, just like, like the Bradbury thesis, Johnson thesis goes so in depth and it's so much cooler than like the vast majority of coursework that you learn until it starts becoming like relevant. So. Yeah. Cause like you like figure out how an engine actually works like in real time. Yeah. Super, super cool. It's like a lot of people are just like, oh, it's just an engine. But it's like, no, 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 it's not just an engine. <laughs> yeah. And also the sense of responsibility. Like I I was always like kind of in a point where like, you know, this was also in high school, like the choice between grades and sports where I probably should have done more sports rather than focus on the grades because grades are just a number whereas like sports are memories. Mm-hmm. Same with, and with clean snow, it's like, it was good I was able to get the job I did, but I could probably like, you know, get a few more B's, maybe even C and get way more involvement in Snowmobile. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. why I like accepted the role of captain is because I knew it like forced me to like take responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so, um, add, elaborating on that captain position, if I may. Um, sure. So what would you like to see improved on in the leadership? Because we're trying to write the books and the rule books for like new leadership stuff. And we kind of have, mm-hmm. we have two co-captains, we have an operations management and we have a sponsorship role um, played by Garrett, Porter, me and Kyle. And so like, we're all trying to kind of come up with a new formula and a new like sort of era of leadership. And we're trying to figure out like the best way that we can go about doing that. Yeah, I mean, so one of the pitfalls of like having like in the past, we just had the captain and co-captain thing mm-hmm. and 
traditionally like any project that any like senior design project or other like um, team project like uh, you know a testing procedure mm -hmm. that was assigned to a team captain did not get done right like at all yeah because the captain was always responsible for other stuff and like for sure for example like uh, Ian Sullivan was like great engineer and he was a great captain, one, probably one of the best calibrators that we had on at, on the team in the history of it, like maybe at least in the last decade. And um, he like had this uh, project that he was assigned to, it's called rider input testing, uh, where he, they were going to have like strain gauges attached to the handlebars and kind of measure the, quantify the ergonomics of different handlebar positions. Yeah. And that got like into the planning phase and nothing else. But on the other hand, he basically like calibrated half the engine by himself and, you know, the other guys helped as well. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think splitting things up a little bit will help, but also main thing is accountability. So like the reason things would get done is like you have the two captains and if you're, if something doesn't get done is the captain's fault at the end of the day. Like they have to accept that responsibility, um, which is how it works in the real world too. Like you're always going to have that manager and it might seem like the stuff they're doing is kind of like trivial, but at the end of the day, like there's a lot of like, it's like their fault at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And so, then, like, we're just kind of struggling with like, how do we hold people accountable? How do we build structure without like- That's the other part of it is- Because you can't really- Accountability. And, accountable with stuff and it's kind of difficult. Yeah, to you don't have an incentive to do well because it's like, well, you can't just stop paying them because you're not paying them in the first place. Yeah. So there's not that incentive. Yeah. So um, there's a couple ideas I have and one of them is just more of um, instilling personal accountability and kind of a desire to get your stuff done and have something to talk about at team meetings. So the way we do it at eControls, we just have a weekly meeting. Everyone kind of, well, we have general points and action items from last week. Um, and, and then we, everyone has to say like what they did. And sometimes it'll be a slow week just because like, you know, they're waiting on something, but if it comes around and like every single week, you're like, Oh, uh, nothing really happened this week. It's like, Hmm. So like you kind of want to sew in that, like almost like shame of like, hi, I didn't really do anything this week. I need to actually, I want, I want to like have something to show for it next week and tell people what I'm doing. Yeah, do you think keeping so, a T-chart of, like, the number of times somebody, like, doesn't come with come to the meetings with stuff and, like, putting it up on the whiteboard or something would help? I mean, that's that's potentially one thing. I mean, that's kind of what Gantt chart's for, is, like, if you're missing, if you keep on missing your critical task every single week, then that should show up on the Gantt chart. And, I mean... Uh, one thing you could do is maybe have more intermediate milestones because what we basically have is like, oh, okay, let's get this done. We only have two major milestones, which are manufacturing or design freeze and manufacturing freeze, which are like right at the tail end. And 
it's possible for a project to get like right up to that design freeze and it's still not designed or even like prototyped. Yeah. So if you have part of this could be good is like you just make the snapshots actually matter. So you could tie it in the class or whatever, but like make a really big deal out of the snapshots. Like when all the senior design teams are doing their snapshot, like you better have, you know, the design almost finished. Like you better have had a design review before the first snapshot, maybe like one design review, if it's a design thing, or you better have all your research done. And then by the second one, you better have a prototype done or you better have some initial data. Yeah, um, something to show for it. Or you could even break it down like that's like snapshots are good and all, but you could break it down like monthly, like, you know, this is the thing that needs to get done. And it could be a broader like section, like yeah. And if that's, that's missed, that's bring something to class. And if they don't, then you know they get put up on the board for bad standing. And well, yeah, or not even. I'm at the end of the day, it's like it is a team effort, and the only thing that matters really is you know getting the um people's development, but also getting the thing done because you know there there needs to be incentives for people to actually do stuff when you're not paid. And if you have so if you have a month and you have like one sub team is like not, you know, they're not getting it done. Like that's a signal for you as like the captain or project manager to, you know, all right, we need to bring some more experience over here, help them out, get them rolling. Mm -hmm. And you so know, like at that point, that's probably when captains and stuff get involved. Yeah. Like you got to step in and now you bring in, if your accountability to kind of like move that forward because we've let projects just like slide for like the entire year. And then we only get like a third of our projects done. And it's like, well, yeah, it's the people's fault on the sub team, but it's also the management's fault for letting it just slide. Uh, yeah. That's kind of what I'm trying to avoid this year. Cause like, I really want to, um, like I'm operations manager, but I'm getting trained to be captain next year um, at the same time. So um, we're trying to come up with ways like that I can write down in a rule book saying like, okay, this is how we're going to start holding people accountable. Like I'm tempted to put up like a board of like a board of accountability or something so that like people have a certain number of ticks and if they get to less than that, then I don't really know like what kind of incentive you, people like want to yeah. see that, but. I mean, that's definitely, that's an idea, but I think you might struggle to get results with like, like what can you really negatively enforce? Like if yeah, someone really exactly. doesn't want to do it and you say like, oh, you know, bad student, then they're just going to leave and you'll be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> well, also at some point you have to realize like maybe teaching them and you know spending time on them is not worth your time so if you have like 30 students which we had like th almost 30 freshmen sign up one year mm -hmm. and it was overwhelming and we actually had the worst retention I think we retained one after two years there's only like one or two people left yeah. uh, among them Steve um, potentially or maybe that was the year after Steve but so that's how the, this gap year started like there's no seniors and that team started out with 30 in that class yeah. nearly. So you have to like, not just 
you have to realize like for your benefit, not just for like the team's benefit of like, are they going to slow you down if you pay attention to the wrong person, which is always the hardest thing. So with that in mind, a lot of people sign up for SAE teams, not just Snowmobile and not just Idaho for the purpose of, you know, taking a box on the resume, like, oh, I'm like on an engineering team, like I can use this to get an internship and they don't do shit. So what you could do, um, which is an idea I learned from my roommate, who's an intern here, he's on the formula team at his school and they have a like vetted list of like, hey, these are the people who are like committed to the team and actually do stuff. And so what you could do is have like, this is, you just have a list on the website and say like, here are like the outstanding members of our team or like, here are like the critical members. Mm -hmm. And if like companies interested and say like, Hey, like I just emailed you guys and asked if you're interested, but like if a company is interested in like trying to get an intern or if someone's at a career fair and they say like, Hey, I, I'm on the snowmobile team, then they can look at the website or like ask the cabins say like, okay, um, is this person actually legit? Yeah. And if they're not on that list and it's like, well, they're not really you know. legit. Yeah. So that's an incentive where, you know, you're not necessarily like punished for not being on the list, but you really don't gain anything by not being on the list. So you want to be on that list. Right. Right. Okay. It's like, you don't want to, like, you want to, so it's, it's like more of a positive reinforcement, like a goal mm-hmm. to achieve. And like, I think as a freshman, like if you could like attain that status of the next years, and maybe if you're a sophomore and you're still not on that list for some reason, then maybe they'd be asking like, Hey, I was kind of wondering why I'm not on that list. And then you as a cabinet could be like, well, you're on the list because like you missed a lot of your deadlines and we had, you know, kind of slow stuff down and we feel like you haven't really like tried to grow at all in that area or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So that's one possible addition that we've never tried before. Yeah. I think that might help. And I also think like an attendance kind of thing, because like there are some people that we haven't really let work on the sled yet because we don't really think that they're qualified to really work on it. Because A, they might not have taken the class or B, they might have paid attention in the class, even if they did take it or they just never showed up to class. Um, So like I was thinking about like maybe um, like making it a requirement that you can't work on the sled unless you've taken ME201 or are in the process of taking ME201 and have gotten credit for it because um i still have to talk to garrett about this but i don't know can can we like give them like a pass or fail like are we allowed to give them less than an a on a grade thing or yeah i mean it's a class that you can fail people and i think we have in the past because like you'll have people who sign up for the class in the beginning and you know they're they're one of those people who show up like once or maybe not at all Mm -hmm. i mean they probably show up like a couple times and then they're like oh this probably isn't a real class i'm not going to show up and then they forget And they don't take it off their, they don't like take the W or whatever. And then they'll just stay in the class. And so you can just like fail them for that. And it's actually a letter grade uh, that counts for like. I thought it was because it's like a two credit course or something. So yeah. And so, and you can email them and say like, hey, you need to take this off or you're going to fail. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because so making the class more legit is definitely 
like yeah. something that should be encouraged. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get more people to lecture in the classes and to lecture about things that we actually know about. Yeah. Um, and if you need a guest lecturer, getting, yeah. um, I could certainly help yeah. out with that. Or um, Zach Lipple is also probably would maybe be interested in like doing like one uh, yeah. if you yeah. ask nicely. I mean, I already asked him for help and he said, yeah, I'd be down to get interviewed. So he's helping me out too. Cool. And um, also on that note, um, so kind of unrelated, but um, the IC Engines course has been a pretty good tool over the summer to learn some like more advanced like thermodynamics, particular to engines. Okay. Um, and that's not being taught this summer because Dan, Dr. like Dr. Brian Lance retiring Dr. Dan is like super busy with new classes. So he has to like prep for those new classes, which he hasn't taught before. I emailed Byerline about this. And so he said like, it's not gonna be taught over the summer, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And so he told, or I asked him like, hey, I'm interested in bringing some of those materials into the CSC class so that doesn't go to waste. Yeah. So whoever's in charge of the class, which is also like, I'd say that's kind of on the level of a captain kind of role. Uh, like in terms of responsibility yeah. then i would definitely want to work with them to yeah to help buff up the... i think kyle and i are going to be in charge of alumni relations stuff um so we'll get you in um we're trying to get more alumni i mean that's kind of why the why i'm starting with the interviews is so that we can start bringing more alumni into the group so that we can kind of get things going um between like new members and older members um so like um yeah is there anything else like leadership wise you think that we should work on or like improve on because i'm i'm trying to um come up with incentives and stuff and you've given me a lot of really good ideas and i really appreciate it yeah in terms of in terms of other incentives oh um one thing you could do i came up with this last year or but um have a literally just like a prize for like, yeah, you know, kind of thinking up and coming like freshmen or like, you know, MVP of, you know, maybe the first semester or maybe best logbook. And you could have like literally like prizes for that. And it could be stupid shit like, uh, or it could be like really funny stuff like uh, your prizes, or we're going to announce the prizes at like the next sled party. Yeah. And your prize is like this like drink that you don't know what's in it yeah yeah <laughs> like you can make it hilarious or you could get like you know buy donuts or something and then yeah no like we were talking like we could get an candy and stuff we could it's it's like simple things that are just like oh that would be kind of cool like, yeah but i would <laughs> we're getting there um sorry for taking so long um so what are five pieces of advice you would give to current team members or even new incoming members? I would say, so one, like general advice is like, the time that you put into like SLED is typically like more valuable than any other time. And if you don't think it's more valuable for some reason, then it's probably because there's like some kind of process that sucks and you could probably improve that and actually, you know, still get the benefit. So it's like, it's always a win uh, even just like realizing like, hey, this sucks, we need to improve this, you know, make it better so we're not wasting time. So 
like yeah. or like just struggling like doing literally anything like if you're like oh I'm, instead of just thinking like oh, i have have to read like john b haywood's ic engines uh fundamentals just to know basics and learn how to calibrate like literally just flip open the book in the table of contents and if you read like two pages of like a chapter that you thought might be interesting you'll i promise you'll like find one sentence and it will just blow your mind and then you'll actually understand stuff like so um so number one like every every little bit matters and you'll actually it's kind of like high school sports in my opinion like you'll wish you had done more because that time will be gone at some point so yeah number one uh number two um let's see um I guess uh, you gotta be, un- you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable when learning something new. And especially I, I learned this because like, I really didn't use like a wrench for like most of my life. And like, I'd probably use it like maybe a couple times. And like, I play with like Legos and Erector sets and stuff, but like, I'm not the most mechanically inclined persons, but learning that stuff and like getting just diving in there and being okay with looking like an idiot for a little while is the way that you learn. Cause you don't learn by just standing back and watching all the time. You have to be like, Hey, like, can you teach me how to do that? Yeah. And same with things that you might find really intimidating, like engine calibration is like, yes, it can be a very complicated process when you look at it from a whole, but on a basic level, you just are, running the engine and you have a device that supplies load to the engine and yeah, things can go wrong and the engine can blow up, but like we've like the most successful years on our team have resulted from almost indirect proportion to the number of engines that we've blown up and the number of pistons that we've just ruined. So failure in engineering is like necessary for success and you're not going to get anywhere by just playing it safe, which we have played it safe for years on the team because like, and I in particular, I didn't want to, I wanted to take some risks, but didn't end up turning out because of dumb wiring and software issues. Um, Love software. (laughs) So number two, don't be afraid to be, uncomfortable with stuff because that's how you learn um three i guess um read more um it doesn't just have to be theses or the ic engines book if you just like look through the share drive and try to like find stuff that looks interesting like you're like oh i don't know anything about noise or i wonder what noise products we've done in the past well you could ask people about it like historians such as myself in Zach level or you could just like go into the sound folder in our very poorly organized csc like original folder and like you'll find things like the maker you'll find like actually really surprisingly advanced like vibration tests where they did um like polymer bushing like damping testing with a uh what's it called a uh, like a, they had like a force transducer or something. I don't know. 
they had they had some kind of like or vibration I don't know um anyway so you can like look at that stuff and I guarantee like every time you go in the show drive and just dig around a little bit you'll actually gain a lot of knowledge same thing with just trying to help out in the dyno and like yeah. set it up or yeah. take apart an engine yeah so. Garrett and Lucas are gonna try no that was actually a distinct point oh read more that was the point yeah, yeah. so that's his own point because reading is the most oh doing stuff is also an effective way but also reading you can learn so much information quickly mm -hmm. um uh, particularly for types like me that started out as more like not hands-on because it's easier to approach it uh so let's see uh tip number four um let's see uh as for help with like homework i guess and from people who have done the classes yeah. because and you know if you're really struggling with the class and it's like oh, i can't do snowmobile because this class is hard guess what there's people who are in the, mostly the same major and they're probably very similar to you and also struggle in the class and they can like tell you like the process for doing stuff and you can go about it in your own way, in your own uh, preferred level of um, morality. For sure, yeah. Like, there's so. lots of different types of ways to study, but definitely CIC is, like, the best way, because almost all of us are mechanical engineers or an engineer of kind. Of exactly. So it's just kind of nice, because all of us are like, oh, you've gone through statics before. Can you like show me how this thing works? Cause I'm thoroughly confused and nobody's explaining it the way that I understand. So um, there's a lot of common mindsets I found, um, especially in the mechanical engineering sort of side of things, so. Yep. Uh, and then so I maybe the last tip is just ask questions, which it might seem kind of like pointless when maybe a lot of you don't know what the answers are but at least the question is asked and then but hopefully actually like you'll be surprised you know a lot and this is more for freshmen like if you ask if you're not asking questions you're probably not learning yeah you're not paying attention so yeah no I, that was one of my biggest ones too is to ask questions because i didn't ask questions my first semester and then my second semester, I started asking stuff and I learned like so much more. <laughs> yep. So a uh, funny story. Feeling I don't so know if Zach Lippel will tell you about this, but he told me that he was the kind of guy who would like as a freshman. So he was with Cade and Jason and who else? Phoenix, I guess. So they were kind of like the dynamic now mm -hmm. or dark horseman of the sled team and uh he would like ask the older guys questions and like or like figure stuff out just talking to the older guys and then he would like um ask what ask the other like freshmen along with himself like you know oh do you know what this does i know what this does <laughs> kind of like glow over it just be like, I know how to do this. Like, let me yeah. teach you. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Last question. Um, 
Mm, hold on. Okay, last question. What skills have you learned from CSC that you use in the workforce? Um, say technical writing for sure. That's pretty transferable. A uh, little bit of coding, but that's you know it's not too required. But that's you know pretty important. Um, basic engine fundamentals, um, and you know ca calibration methodology. Um, um, cause there's kind of like an order that you want to do things. Um, uh, let's see basic troubleshooting stuff like electrical issues is huge part of it. Yeah. And also just like basic, like comfort with doing small mechanical tasks, um, which is not super necessary, but really helps it. Like if you need to get something done, like not have to wait to ask someone to do it. Yeah. Um, and not be overwhelmed by just like looking at something then you can actually kind of understand how it works because you've like dived into the snowmobile yeah. chassis before. Right, yeah. Uh, it's definitely a confidence thing. Yeah. And uh, I guess just the uh, ability to learn stuff because you've, you know, well, you've gained experience, but you've also put yourself in that position of times where you're not afraid to do it again and keep learning stuff. Yeah. So once you stop learning stuff, then you, that's where you're going to end up just flatline. Yep. 